Good morning. Would you please stand and sing with us? Okay. Yeah, we raise up holy hands. 
with us dear heavenly father god we thank you so much for another day to wake up and another day to come here and worship you lord we pray today that you would open our hearts and open our minds so that we can focus on the message and receive your word in jesus name we pray amen Cross 
Good morning. I want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Kate. I'm the pastor here. We're so grateful that you joined us in worship today. I don't take it for granted when the temperature's in the teens that you'll get dressed and get in your car and drive over here. I'm grateful that you did it. I'm grateful for the new HVAC system uh, for this building that makes sure we keep it warm. Might not be warm enough for you, might be too warm for you. I'd be curious to see the variance in the temperature requests of an entire congregation. And I would guess it would be maybe 18 to 21 degrees difference. Uh, you might be weirded out by me wearing a white shirt today. If this were um, college football, I'd be wearing road alternate uniform uh, today. And that's because I'm wearing a tie in the sanctuary. If you want to see me wear a tie, which is normally reserved for um, people who have served our country and lived 91 years and have um, passed on and we have an amazing service for them, and I wear a tie for that person. The sanctuary is being renovated. Um, uh, not exactly this second, um, but over the next six weeks uh, when the contractors are available. And that is to give more um, space for the choir, which is growing in the uh, 11 o'clock service. And so we're all on the ground. Uh, everything's being redone, and so we're just um, wearing um, a little more casual stuff. So you'll see me in this for the next couple of weeks. We'd like to f um, frame our announcements in the five practices of fruitful congregations. We try to live these out through the best of our ability, and we're getting better. The first of which is radical hospitality. We want in every way to um, uh, try to give you a welcoming, friendly environment in both of our worship spaces, which is, are entirely different. Um, one thing you could say if somebody says, what's your 9 o'clock service like? You say, we have rocking chairs and donuts. We have rocking chairs and donuts. And um, amazing music that continues to get more diverse. Um, Tyler, we appreciate you um, joining the band and uh, adding the um, cajon, is how you say it, right, to the band. We're grateful that you're with us today. Um, Kathy's already been adding uh, what we're doing with the piano, and Tyler's played the guitar. Um, we're getting a little bit better and a little more diverse in every way. Um, but we want to make sure that you feel welcome and that you get contacted. When the attendance register comes by you, if you'd like to give us any contact information, we'll contact you in that way. If you have a prayer concern, if you look on the front of your bulletin, there is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week um, number that you can call. You'll get a voicemail instantly. If you leave a voicemail, it comes uh, specifically to me, and it can be an emergency, like we're in the ER and we'd like you to come. It can be a prayer concern. I'd like you to pray for my uh, daughter who's not well. The entire spectrum 
of um, pastoral care calls if you'll call that number. But if you would like to share a particular prayer concern in this worship space, you can raise your hand and an usher will bring you a card and you can fill it out uh, now and place it in the offering plate. Uh, We believe in passionate worship. Whatever we can um, possibly do uh, to deliver the message by prayer, by music, by word, by proclamation, uh, in both of our worship services, both of the styles um, we are trying to do. Um, We're looking at 24 Hours That Changed the World um, by Adam Hamilton. It's a book um, by a dynamic United Methodist minister in our um, denomination. And he, uh, it's, we're looking at that for Lent. So if you've ever been a part of a church that did that or you have that book, um, I would, if you do not, I would encourage you to get it and read it along with us. We believe in intentional faith development. And I'll ask uh, Reverend Bob McQuaid, he's a retired pastor in our congregation, um, is going to tell us about adults. Um, as he's going, I'll tell you, for the holiday, according to Greenville County Schools, the children and youth will not meet tonight and will resume again next week. Back in the day, Jay Leno, late-night talk host and comedian, used to go out on the street and interview people and ask them questions, usually about our history as the United States, rather simple questions, questions that were taken from the test that was given to people who wanted to become citizens. 38% of them failed to answer the question either correctly or at all. One in three couldn't name the vice president. Three of four didn't know why we were fighting the Cold War. And four in 10 didn't know we fought in World War II. Here's some samples. Leno asked this young woman. President Reagan said, quote, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this blank. Uh, She looked for a minute or two this way, and that way and said, tree? Uh, Bridge? He said, no, 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 no. Leno says to this young woman named Debbie, what country did we fight in the Revolutionary War? Debbie scratched her head and said, France? Leno says to a young guy, can you name a country that borders the U.S.? He looked puzzled. He said, a country? Well, I don't know. Showing a picture of President Reagan, a young woman said, well, I don't know, it looks like some politician. Nixon? Showing a picture of Vice President Biden, The young person said, I don't know who he is. It's humorous, but pathetic, even alarming, that Americans are ignorant of our U.S. history. But consider this. In 2012, the American Bible Society showed Survey showed that 85% of American households own a Bible, but 36% never read it. 79% saw themselves, quote, knowledgeable about the Bible, but 54% could not identify the first five books of the Bible. After extensive review of top trends in 2005, the Barna Group concluded that, quote, American Christians are biblically illiterate. 
our church will offer a series of five-week Bible studies on Sunday evenings during the winter-spring season to help you become intentional about faith development. We begin tonight in the social hall at 5.15 with a great study on the life and message of the Apostle Paul led by the Reverend Fred Parker. And I invite you to get serious about intentional faith development this year. Thank you, Bob. The image that comes to mind for me is, say, chemistry or calculus. These things I didn't have a sense of, didn't want to have a sense of because I had great fear, hoped that I would never be called on and uh, really wouldn't go if I weren't forced to by the government and my parents and teachers. If you have that sense about the Bible, it's not any fun. Uh, so I would encourage you, it's not going to be like that. You're not going to be asked a question. You're not going to be asked what's the second book or the 18th book. You're going to come and have fun, and uh, we encourage you to do that. Uh, we believe in risk-taking mission and service. Uh, we don't currently have a project. We just want to say thank you for the coach that you brought. Uh, the mission and service team will meet uh, this, uh, I think it's the second month and second week in February. Uh, so we'll have something coming up for you soon. We believe in extravagant generosity. Uh, we're completing our um, budget process for this year. You can see on the back of the bulletin and every week uh, where we stand on that. We started off on a great foot after ending last year on a great foot. Um, I want to say thank you to you for that. Um, you'll see all those announcements in your bulletin. Uh, you'll see uh, Tuesday, Thursday email. If you don't have that, write our um, office manager, Leslie, and let us know. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this space. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you called us together wanting to learn, wanting to be comforted, wanting to comfort, wanting connection. Help us, Lord, in this space to provide all of these things. Help us to be ready for the word. Help us to proclaim it. Help us to receive it. Help us to carry it from this place forward. As we read of one of your prophets, one of your called leaders, truly struggling, Help us to identify with that struggle, Lord, and the calling that you have placed on his life and on our life as well. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So we're looking at chapter 2 of Jonah today. We're going through a chapter each week. It's the, one of the shortest books in the Bible. You could read it this afternoon um, before you even started lunch. As you put something in a pan, you could read it. By the time it's ready, out of the pan, you, I, don't, I don't really know that. I don't ever put anything in a pan. But it's a very short book. Um, we're looking at chapter 2, which is uh, Jonah being swallowed by a whale after running from God. Uh, God wanted him to help a nation, a people that had long punished his people. He didn't want to do that in any way, shape, or form. A lot of us would understand that and struggle with that as well. He got on a boat going in the opposite direction. On that boat, he got tossed into the water so that the storm would go away. And at the end of chapter 1, he's swallowed by a great fish. Is it a reality? Is it a metaphor? Depends on which seminary you attend. Depends on which church you attend. Depends on what um, faith practices you have had. But I'm not going to debate it because I wasn't there. What I'm going to do is talk about the message, the significance of it. So what we're going to talk about today is, our first word is containers. Pardon me, I always have to do this. Um, Y'all been out um, 
What's the road that has the container, has uh, the inland port? Whatever road it is. Trade? Hey. So whatever it is. You go out there and you see all the container ships, all the container uh, uh, containers stacked on one another. Um, it's crazy to me that we lived in Charleston where I passed where the container ships came in every day. Then Mount Pleasant where they came in every day. Then I came here and I'm where they're coming. Uh, on their way to the next place. And I'm with the girls at the aquarium on the balcony in Charleston. And you see this huge container ship. I said, girls, what's on that container will go on a train. It will get on that train. It will go up the state. It will be unloaded where we live. It will be taken from there. And then, isn't that amazing? No. <laughs> no, that's not amazing. Yeah, it is. It's amazing that someone knows how all of this is connected such that it can be scanned, sent to the right spot, and so that BMW receives an axle, or whatever they would get, and a thing in Tennessee receives a toy uh, that they ordered from another nation, and that we send stuff back all that way too. The reason I'm bringing up containers is a quote that we're going to read. Um, before that quote, we're going to look at four pictures. This is the ark. And you can see animals on the front just kind of hanging out, looking out and seeing, uh, what on earth is this? Um, enormous flood, pain and agony and loss and anger, but there's a container that takes a particular group of people to start again. In this container, they're saved from raging waters that could easily end their life. Let's look at the next one. This is Moses as a baby, or depiction of that and his mom, and uh, assume older sibling, the Pharaoh is threatening, not threatening, carrying out a threat to kill all you little boys so that no one will be a threat to him. Anyone who has held a little baby, I've held so many in my life, including my own, you feel how fragile they are even when they're uh, uh, chunky. Imagine putting a chunky, happy baby in a basket hoping it'll work out. You wouldn't want to do that in the first place. Much less would you want to do that um, with the child that's yours. A child is saved by a container from true anger coming from everyone, and the water that's saving him could also threaten him. Let's look at the next one. This is Moses again, again in Egypt, Trapped by mountains on one side, water on one side, and Pharaoh's army coming for him on another side. Any one of them can take his people's lives. Can't scale the mountains, they die trying. They can't go across the water, they die trying. They can't face the army, they die trying. Every one of these images has imminent loss and death and pain. Yet in this water is created a space a dry land in which they can cross to safety. So life and death are in the balance in each of these. Let's look at the next one. This is the last one. This is a depiction of Jonah, the book that we're reading. Spit out by the whale in chapter 3. His life was saved by a vessel. His life was threatened by a vessel. He could be saved from the water. He could be killed by the water. This is over and over and over again in the Old Testament, imagery of the power of water. 
which we don't often have a um, legit fear for because we build buildings right up against it. But every once in a while, see, lately we've been reminded of that significant power of water, what it has on us. So I'm going to look at a quote from Erica Brown. This is a book she um, wrote called The Reluctant Prophet. Both the ark and the fish are images of dry land within water. They were containers. Much like Moses' basket on the Nile, they served as temporary modes of protection against the dangers of the sea. They were, metaphorically speaking, the stable, dry land amidst the unstable sea. God, Jonah's God, is the God of both dry land and sea. That God who created nature, which is so powerful, so beautiful, created life, but that nature can also take our life, is calling a man to go to a people, to turn them around, to give them a new chance at life. And when he ran, instead he ended up in this fish. Jonah, verse, Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called out to my Lord in my distress, and he answered me. From the belly of the underworld, I cried out for help. You have heard my voice. You had cast me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounds me. All your strong waves and rushing water passed over me. Now, how many of y'all have prayed within the belly of a fish? Anybody raise their hand? We did the raising hand thing last week, right? How many of y'all have prayed from a situation that felt like you were in the belly of a fish? You had no shot, no chance, no purpose, no hope, and everything, even if you get out of this situation, you're going from this situation to another one, both of which are threatening you, neither of which seem to have any opportunity for change. And... Um, that's your first uh, uh, phrase, finally an answer. See, sometimes God reaches out to us, sometimes God communicates with us, but um, you, ever, you ever feel your phone buzz, you ever look at it and go, mm -mm, no. It's, it's, it's not an immediate priority, the communication that you're getting. You ever get a phone call or an email, you don't immediately respond back. See, Jonah didn't have a cell phone, didn't have any of that, and it's communicated with God, but doesn't answer back. Instead, he runs. But finally, after walking in the opposite direction, after not answering God, he is answering God in prayer. Hey, uh, I'm in a real tough spot. Hey, hey, I remember the other day you wanted to talk to me, right? I'm ready. I am ready. Why does it take that? Why does it take us being in a desperate, desperate spot to communicate with God? I think there's plenty of reasons that aren't incredibly negative. I think we just think like we would um, eat better, like we would exercise, like we would read more. We say, you know what? I should pray more. I, I really should. I'm not against it. It might help me. I might understand more. But then you just don't. You just keep, you know, phone buzzes, get in traffic. You get there, the person at work goes, hey, uh, that thing yesterday, no, that's no good. We've got to redo it. Before you even get to the thing that you have to do, you have to redo the thing from yesterday. Or the person, when you come in the office and they go, 
Where do you hear this? That's your start. That's 901. Where do you hear this? You're probably not getting to prayer that day. But there's something about being in a desperate, desperate situation of which even if you escape, you'll be in another one where you go, you know what, I'm listening. You heard my cry, is what he says. Finally, an answer. In your next phrase, everything else failed before he tried to pray. Does that that sound familiar? He ran in the opposite direction. He spent money on a ticket to get on a boat to go in the opposite direction of where he was supposed to go. He threw money at it. He took a nap. Um, That's one of my favorite things. If you see on social media or Twitter and say, you know what, I got so much to do today, I probably should just take a nap before I even think about it. Isn't that real? I probably should just not... I probably should just clear my head by watching maybe six or seven episodes on Netflix. And then I'll get right to it as soon as my head is clear and I'm ready. He took a nap in the bottom of the boat as the storm was raging because he understood what was swirling around was real trouble and was on him. The men who were praying out to all of their own gods before this moment are paddling as hard as they possibly can. Not rookies paddling, experts paddling. Then they cried out to our God. So first we try running, then we try buying something, then we try taking a nap, then we try getting it done with all of our own effort first. Everything else has failed. Maybe I should pray about it. I think the significance, ministers are bad about this too. Maybe ministers are among the worst. Some of the things that Christians struggle with, ministers get in that moment, and then they struggle with it even worse because it's their thing. We pray when we need something. Which is in the neighborhood of God being like a genie. I really could use a new car. I really could use this job. I really wish I would get into this school. Right? Rather than a space in which we try to understand and comprehend anything that God would want, committing to a window of time in which we are listening. You ever call a friend up that you know is having a hard time and you just listen to them? You know what kind of gift that is. You know what kind of gift it is to receive that from another person. This is what you were doing, not with another human being, but with God. God, I want to understand. My goodness, what a gift. Verse 4. So I said, I've been driven away from your sight. Will I ever again look on your holy temple? Waters have grasped me to the point of death. The deep surrounds me. Seaweed is wrapped around my head at the base of the undersea mountains. I've sunk down to the underworld. Its bars held me with no end in sight. But you... Brought me out of the pit. Dude has seaweed on his head. Dude's got seaweed wrapped around his head. You ever go, um, you ever ride waves with the children, with the grandchildren? And you're like, man, this is fun. You ever get on one that has a little more power than you thought it did? And it gets, really gets you into the spot in a hurry. 
And you pop up and you go, whoa. He says, you're far more powerful than I. Your creation is far more powerful than I. I'm curious if I'm ever even going to see the temple again. Now, I had no idea. I googled it. You know how far the temple is from Nineveh? 1,400 miles. That's a long way. That's a long way for us. Much less for him. That means he's somewhere... Uh, of course, he went in the opposite direction. That means he is a long way from the temple. There's only one temple. So we have United Methodist churches spread throughout the nation, spread throughout the world. There's no central United Methodist church that is the one that we hope to visit once a year or once in our lifetime. We have what are the equivalent of synagogues. Many people have been in the synagogues. He says, I wonder if I'll ever see your holy temple again. Which is your next phrase, will I ever again? Now, um, I want to ask you a question, and, and is it this, or is it this, or is it, is it, like a lot of things, a little bit of both. Is he broken? Which would be real progress. Uh, if you've had, uh, if, if you've been a boss of an employee who is completely against anything that you're hoping to do, if you've been a parent of a teenager who's completely against anything that you're hoping to do, uh, if you've been, uh, what's another one, a trainer with a person coming in the gym and they are completely against anything you say, if you're a physical therapist after surgery and you say, these are the steps that we've got to take, and that person goes, nah. If you ever um, have a spouse that you're trying to help do a particular thing they do not want to do it they don't have the passion or the energy if there's ever a breakthrough and you think you know what i think this thing this is sinking in the you know that that point 61 minutes through a 75 minute movie i think i think we're finally getting it is he broken and understanding what he is and what he's supposed to be and what god is and what god is supposed to be or is he being dramatic? Am I ever again going to look on your holy temple? Are you ever going to stop being upset with me? This is a trusted strategy. If you are in trouble with another person, just ramp it up and put the punishment way past what they'll ever say. Right? And be real emotional about it. And go, well, I guess you don't ever want me to do anything ever again. <laughs> right? I don't know. I don't know which one it is in this. If, if there were a pie chart, 49% broken, 51% whining. I mean, given the context, in um, English you're supposed to look at the context surrounding the thing and try to understand and comprehend. I don't know. But I think he's broken and being dramatic. But verse 7 is different. It's different. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes we have to say the things that we don't mean or grumpy things before we can get to the thing. Verse 7. When my endurance was weakening, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those deceived by worthless things lose their chance for mercy. But me, I will offer a sacrifice to you with the voice of thanks. That which I have promised, I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So that's your last phrase. I remember the Lord. 
uh, <laughs> teenager wrecks your car three months in. We've been three months, I've let you sit behind the wheel and you've wrecked the car. And it could potentially be totaled. What's that conversation like? What I'm, I'm asking, it's about to happen to us uh, in, <laughs> in like 10 months. Uh, what's it like from the child's end? You are a person of great grace and mercy. And you've loved me all these 15 years. You have forgiven me in a number of tough spots. And I call upon your forgiveness in this moment. No one knows how to drive like I will. No one will ever put their phone down while they're driving as much as I will. No one will ever be more laser focused on the speed limit and what those boundaries just above the speed limit should be than I will. I will be the best driver in this town. Never heard that? Never said that? Do you anticipate hearing that or saying that in the near future? As the receiver of that word, as the creator of all humanity, and as the employer of this prophet, God shows us what true patience is. See, because that employee that gets on our nerves, that relative that pushes our patience, that person in church that can't seem to get it, we light the fuse pretty quickly and go, you know what, <sighs> had enough. And I, I struggle with that too. Think about this answer that Jonah has given and the fact that God was willing to take a percentage that was in that answer as the truth and possibility for change in the future. I'm willing to live on 5% of your answer, being honest and faithful and coming back in a way that may bring change. That's inspiring. That's true patience. And it's what God is trying to model to him so that when he does go to Nineveh now in chapter 3, he can have that same patience. So we've got to model it if we want it. We've got to recognize it. We've got to be willing to take a shorter answer, less productivity than we're accustomed to, and say thank you and reward it. Isn't that hard? We've got to know that when we can only give 5% of an honest answer and response, that God is willing to accept that and drive us to 6% tomorrow or 10% the next day. Because if we think I've got to be fully formed, fully ready, fully committed, or else I'm not coming, I'm not doing this, we're going to struggle to come, aren't we? I remembered the Lord. I'm going to stop running. I'm going to stop spending. I'm going to stop napping. I'm going to stop paddling, figuring I can do it myself. Which one of those is the most difficult for you in the moment of pain or brokenness or loss? Which one of those is the most difficult for you in your pursuit to listen to God? Running in the opposite direction? You're here on a really cold day. I'm thinking more often than not, you're not running from the Word. Spending? 
you know what? You know what would really fix this? If I went and got a new shirt or a new phone or a new car, then everything would be in order. Napping, which I'm going to lump in all kinds of distractions that we place so that we don't think about the thing. Paddling. I'm just going to do it myself and I'll tell God when I'm done. I won't bring it up to God until I'm done. I'm just going to do it myself and then we'll figure it out. Which one of those is your struggle? E. What? <laughs> e. All of the above. So, um, I would have you do what Jonah did, though I can't simulate being stuck in a whale with no Wi-Fi or work to do or napping. Without that motivation, I would encourage you to remember what God has done, what God is calling you to do, and to remember that which you have promised. If you haven't made a promise yet, then this is new territory. It's new opportunity. We're about to read the affirmation of faith together. You might believe it. You might not. You might read it. You might not. But I'd have you consider it. Because if you were going to make a promise, you say, I don't, I don't even know what promise to make. I don't even know what to do. What we're about to read is a fair version. Something you could start with. Something you could end with if you did the things that we're about to say. So as you're able, if you'll stand and join me. We believe in God the Father, infinite in wisdom, power, and love, whose mercy is over all his works, and whose will is directed to his children's good. We believe in Jesus Christ, Son of God and Son of Man, the gift of the Father's unfailing grace, the ground of our hope, and the promise of God fulfilled. We believe in the Holy Spirit as the divine presence in our lives, reminding us always of the truth of Christ, our inspiration and strength in times of joy and sorrow. We believe our faith should be apparent in our words of love and acts of service, that the kingdom of God may be a present reality here on earth, not something we're hoping to get a ticket for, and then we've got one, and then we're done. A present reality here on earth can only happen when we remember... God's grace and God's call. It can only happen when we remember. We can only remember if we pause. I encourage you to pause outside of this worship space, outside of this vessel, outside of this container, so that you can understand God's love for you and God's call for you. Please be seated. It's now time for our offering. Um, you can give as the plate goes by. You can give uh, electronically with instructions in the back of the bulletin. If you're new or trying this out, we certainly don't expect you to give. You can rely on the generosity of our people. Just tempest in the sea
If you would stand and sing this last one with us.
unique opportunity today. If for whatever reason we missed you in the directory for pictures, you can go to our sanctuary and go to what we call the narthex, which is the back of the sanctuary. Um, I can lead us all over there. Adam is going to take your picture and make sure it's in the um, directory. It'll be an online directory. So if, you've, if you're here today and you missed it and you want to do it, go with us and uh, uh, zero down. Uh, zero, you don't have to do anything after that. So if you'll come with me, we'll do that. Go in peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your Have a great week.